he said, I'm Elvis, I'm the man that just brought your little girl home with her flat. Is she here? Well, yes. She comes to the door, and she was all cowered down. And Elvis squatted down and said, come here, baby. And he let her sit on his knee, and he said, remember, I'm the one that we brought you home. And she's, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. He said, do you get an allowance? And she said, yeah. And I don't know if she said a nickel, a dime, a quarter, or whatever. Sure. He said, I'll tell you what, if you'll do, if you'll promise me you'll save your allowance till you can get that bike fixed, I've got a present for you. Well, she unfolded like a little daffodil. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. We go out to the car, pulls out this pink bicycle. Wow. So he gave this bicycle. He said, now this is yours, but you promise me you will save your money till you can get this fixed, and you'll give it to one of your friends that doesn't have a bicycle. Then wow. this pink bicycle will be yours. And the thing that touches my heart this day more than then is that he didn't want notoriety for that. Welcome to the Showcast, a show about music, culture, and Memphis. As we live into our mission of building community through music, education, and diversity, we look forward to interviewing artists, musicians, movers, and shakers about how they're writing their own stories and building their own communities. For almost 90 years, the Shell has stood the test of time as a beacon of hope in the heart of Memphis. This podcast is brought to you by Orion Federal Credit Union, where a big part of us is being a big part of the community. Visit orionfcu.com to see how Orion is redefining banking. I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome our guest today. We have Tish Henley who, believe it or not, was Elvis Presley's nurse and longtime friend. Tish, thank you so much for the time today. We are just welcome. Always glad to share some Elvis. Well, you have a wonderful book written called Taking Care of Elvis. Before we get into that, though, the obvious first question, you graduated nursing school in June of 63, and by 1968, you were Elvis's nurse? That's correct. How did that happen? Well, it was kind of weird. He had bought the ranch, and he'd been riding horses all day. You know, he had six trucks, six cars, six saddles, six everything. Elvis had two speeds, zero, and as fast as he'll go on anything. So he'd ridden the horses all day long, and he had a sore butt. So, of course, George Klein, who was our local DJ at WHBQ, and Elvis were very good friends. They'd gone to school together, so he called George, and he said, George, I've got to see a doctor. I've got a sore butt. I can't sit. I can't stand. I can't row. And George at the time was dating our receptionist where I was employed. So he, George called her, and she made a poll in the clinic, and Dr. Nick said, okay, I'll go see him, but I'll have to go after hours, and he did. And then, I don't know, two or three weeks or something after that, Elvis had another issue, and uh, Dr. Nick says, well, you know, I did you a favor before I came to the ranch, but, but we're established practice, so you'll have to make an appointment. So we shut the clinic down, and I was the D.O.N. I was taking care of him, and you got to realize I was probably about 26 or 27 years old, he was sitting in the corner in a chair talking to him, and he was looking down at his knees. And I just walked over to him, and I said, Elvis, if you talk to me, you look at me. Oh. And so a few minutes later, I got a page to go to Dr. Nick's office, and I thought, well, your good is gone, girl. So anyway, that was great, because I knocked on his door. I said, you page me, sir. Yeah. I, he said, what did you say to Elvis? And I told him, and he said, he likes you. So that's how it all began. So, And then, I, of course, I, Elvis found out that I had two daughters. We lived out East Memphis. I worked in Midtown. Of course, he's at Graceland. So I would take the girls down and play with Lisa when she would come in town. Then I'd have to go home and get ready for work. So he kept on wanting me to move in a trailer in the backyard. And 
I ate some of those words because I wasn't going to do that. So in 72, the, my husband was doing construction work, and it was really bad. And so he found out that my husband had formerly been a police officer. So I know nothing about this. He talks to my husband and hires him. But guess what? We have to live on the grounds of Graceland. So that's how he got us down there. Gotcha. That song, My Way, that was Elvis's way. <laughs> In the uh, foreword of your book, you mentioned that for a few years after Elvis passed, probably like everybody else that was associated with him, you got a lot of requests for interviews and media attention, which you turned down. What caused your change of heart? What caused my change of heart? This friend of mine from the UK would call me every year. He would always do an, an event. I worked at the Dolan House. And I'd say, no, 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 no. So finally I told him, I said, okay, Andrew, I will come, but I'm going to be the church mouse. And I did, and it was wild. But at that time, I found out how hungry the fans were to know about the person. They want to know about Elvis, a person. Forget the sex, drugs, rock and roll, and women. They were hungry to find out about him, what he was like, <laughs> what he did, what he liked to do. And I said, okay, you're 70 years old. You better get off your butt and take some notes. And that's how it all began, and it's been an awesome journey. That's wonderful. Awesome journey. That is wonderful. I got to take a moment here to comment for uh, current working musicians. Touring back in that day, there was there's one part in your book where you list a tour. I guess he did approximately two-week tours several times a year. You got to catch this one. The fourth tour of 1976 went from Buffalo to Providence to Landover to Philadelphia to Richmond to Greensboro to Shreveport, to Baton Rouge, to Fort Worth, to Tulsa, and to Memphis. There were two shows on a couple of those tours. That's 13 shows in 11 days in 11 cities. That had to present some really, really challenging uh, situations for you as a nurse. It was, it was tough. It was tough for everyone. And to be honest, I don't know how Elvis toured as long as he did. I mean, you wouldn't even know where you were most of the time. I never got a drug in my life. But you, I told him one time, I said, I feel like a cow going to market. You get through doing a show. They take you either go on a bus or a limo. They take you to the airport. You get in the plane. You fly into another city. You sleep a few minutes. You don't even get a chance to unpack your suitcase. Do a show. Get up and go to another one. Sometimes if you did two shows, it was it was horrendous work. It was really, it was difficult. And he did this multiple times a year? Multiple times a year. Wow. That's incredible. What about that? Did he enjoy touring? He did. He enjoyed he loved his fans, and he always wanted to give his very best to his fan. When we were in Vegas or Tahoe, we were usually there seven to ten days. Mm -hmm. So you got to unpack your suitcase. You could get out during the day and mill around a little bit. And you could live like a human being going to a concert that night. There was a funny mention in your book on, I think it was consecutive days, a story about maybe a sunburn and a snowstorm. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that was in Tahoe. That was, that was incredible because we got there. Well, I have to tell you a little story before that. Please. Because we were in Vegas, so the big plane couldn't fly into Tahoe. So we flew into Reno, and we were in a little small prop plane, several of us. Well, the person doing the prop plane was a tour guide. So he was going around showing everybody, had shown all these different canyons. Elvis did not like to fly anyway. He was comfortable with his plane and his pilots because they knew not to make boo-boos. Right. So... He was about to have a fit. So he told Joe and me, he said, we're not coming back on this. We're not coming back on this. So anyway, we go up there. And uh, so on coming back, we were on a bus. And I don't know if you remember or not, but there was two Decker buses at a few of them. Right. 
So not only are we not on a little small prop plane, we're on this two-decker bus, and guess what? She's a tour guide, and so she's taking us around all these caverns. It was scary as the mischief for all of us, I tell you. Oh, my goodness. So we were really glad to get back on the Lisa Marie. I would imagine. <laughs> I would imagine. So many stories in your book about the kindness of Elvis oh. as a human being. One story that touched my heart in particular was a particular Mother's Day. Oh, yes. And that was at the same time because I had not wanted to go to mm -hmm. Tahoe because it was going to be Mother's Day and I had two daughters. So we kept on and I went. So I was sitting out in the audience and the lights come on. It was kind of weird. And so here comes the maitre d', and he brought me a dozen red roses and two white roses. Oh. A dozen for me and two for his mother. Oh. It was special. And that's pretty indicative of the, the private man, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. There's so many stories about his kindnesses in the book. That's, it's wonderful to read. And he, you know, he was, he was kind to everyone. Now, did he have a temper? Could he be violent? Yes, I can too. Mm -hmm. But he just was, um, he was just amazing. Tell you another little thing we did there, talking about the suntan. When we got there, it was beautiful. And we'd been out. He couldn't, but we'd been out by the pool. We'd all got us some sun. So I talked to the security, and I said, could we get some chairs on the roof, and I can get Elvis up there? I said, if you can do that, I'll go try to find us something to play with. So I went and bought a football and a Frisbee. So we go up on the roof and uh, had fun. We're playing Frisbee and football and just sitting. So he... He just had his chest exposed, so he had to get on the stage that night and tell off on his nurse for getting him a Sunday, a sunburn on the roof. <laughs> so then about two days after that, I woke up early one morning, and oh my gosh, there was like six inches of snow all over the chairs and stuff where we'd been laying in the sun. Wow. So I snuck over into his room and pulled the curtains back and let the snow blow in on. So that's how he got awakened that day. <laughs> I bet he was pleased about that. <laughs> uh, he, he liked it better after it was over. <laughs> <laughs> that actually kind of brings to uh, to mind another thing. Of course, a personality like Elvis, world revered, and et cetera, et cetera. There's that other side where because of the fame and because of the adulation, there's a lot of loneliness and isolation. I'm guessing during times like that, you were as much of a counselor as a nurse. Absolutely. I always say we were friends 95% of the time, nursing 5%. Wow. And, you know, I grew up in the country, and I picked cotton, and I knew about hard work. And mm -hmm. So and back in those days, you know, we didn't have the technology that we have now, so you watch TV till TV went off, which was like midnight. Right. He had uh, Mighty Python and um, Gone Brain Dead. Pink Panther was the two movies that, so after you've watched them 40 times a piece, you know them by heart and you're right. kind of sick of it. So I would try to come up with some things to get him out of the mm. out of the house. And, of course, he was always so cautious about, you know, not wanting to hurt a fan because there was always somebody at that front gate. Sure. Always. And they would jump. I've seen women jump on the hood of the car, hang on the windows. I mean, unbelievable. So I would get him out. One night I drove him to my hometown, Union City, which is about under 40 miles from here. Mm -hmm. So we pulled out about midnight, told him at the front gate we was gone, just drove up there and drove around, showed him where I went to school, where I went to church, mm -hmm. took him down to Real Foot Lake, just doing nothing. But it was just so relaxing for him because we didn't have to worry about fans seeing us. Sure. And we didn't have to worry about what we were going to do because it was just the two of us. And so it was, uh, I got him out one time and came right here where we are to the Overton Park. And we would... Uh, 
back in those days, they had some concrete bleachers, like a couch kind of thing, had a back on them, sitting around in different parts of the park. But we found one place that we came in, we just sitting there. And it was, a, it was an outlet for both of us. Number one, we weren't sitting up there in that bedroom, <laughs> not watching TV and reading and all that. And so we were, we sit there, we're sitting there one night, and I'll have to tell you two stories on that. There's a, a name for one of those trees down there. Please excuse me, it's called a pissing tree. We're, <laughs> we were sitting there one night, and Elvis elbowed me, and he said, Tashina, I got a piss. I just kind of ignored him. A few minutes later, he says, Tashina, I've really got a piss. I said, well, you're not going to do it in my hand, so go figure. So on the third time he said it, I said, just go behind the tree and do your business. So he did. Then the funny thing was, each time we would come, he was like a little boy that had marked his spot. He would have to go and piss. <laughs> so it was just kind of funny. So I had this group I was taking around town from England, and so I took them by and was telling them that story. And they all just got hysterical, and they got over there and had to, had to act like it too. And, but when we pulled in at the time we were going, there were three big trees there. So they had cut down one of the trees. So I said, Oh my gosh, Elvis's piss has done killed the tree. So we get in the car and we're ready to leave. And one of the guys from Wales, he was out there walking around and just acting funny. And I said, What's wrong with what's wrong with him? So then I saw him squat down and he picked up a piece of bark. So when he got in the car, I said, I saw what you did. You got a piece of bark off the pissing tree, didn't you? So it was kind of funny. I did him a COA and mailed it to him and he framed it in his office with a piece of that bark. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's Now, that's a heck of a souvenir right there. That's a good souvenir right there. <laughs> of course, one of the popular images of Elvis is the poor old country boy who made good. You talk often in your book about his love of books and learning, and I loved one quote from him, the image is one thing, the man is another. I love that. <laughs> tell me about uh, how much he loved books and learning. He loved it, and I'll tell you something about Elvis. It was, you know, of course, I was very blessed. I nursed in the same practice for 50 years. So I took care of a lot of stars and mm -hmm. governors and all that kind of stuff. But Elvis Presley read all the time. He loved to read, but he loved for you to read to him, too. He sometimes mm -hmm. was like a baby. His eyes would get tired, so you'd get the job of reading to him. And, you know, if you read something, you absorb it. But if you listen to someone else reading it, you absorb parts of it, mm -hmm. not him. He would amaze me because he could just about tell you word for word that you just really? say he loved reading, and he absorbed it, and he loved to share his books with people to get, keep them involved in reading. Any particular type of book he preferred over others? All of them. He did a lot of the Scientology. He loved the numerology. Mm -hmm. uh, he read the Bible a lot. You read the Bible a lot to him, but he had a vast range of different books that he would read. Was he always trying to add to his own spirituality? Oh, yes. Wow. He liked to check all different spiritualities. He wanted to know what the different religions, what their history was and what that was all about. It's fascinating. Want to learn more about how you can support the Overton Park Shell and its mission of building community through music, education, and diversity? Head to OvertonParkShell.org. You can read up on our history, check out our schedule of events, visit our shell shop to grab all the swag, and find out ways that you can participate in our mission, whether that's through donations, volunteering, sponsoring a concert, or becoming a member of the Shell Circle. Once again, that's OvertonParkShell.org. Your daughters were friends and playmates to Lisa. They were. That must have been quite something. It was a wild ride because she was the queen of 
Queen of Graceland when she was here. Of course. And of course, they had the golf cart. And there was usually about, of course, Billy and Joe had two boys that lived in the trailers. So it was those two boys and then Vernon's girlfriend's son and then Lisa and my two daughters and Amber and Dina. So there was a whole mob of them. And it was quite interesting because Lisa was kind of explosive sometimes. So it was... Uh, she uh, She's played our stage before. Yeah. She, she did one concert here and... Uh, one of the things that really drove home to me about how devout Elvis's and Lisa's fans were, her show started at 7.30 at night. At 8 o'clock in the morning, we had 100 people lined up waiting to see the show. Yeah. It was amazing, just the uh, the response that she got. There's a cute story in your book, you mentioning Lisa brought it up, about how Elvis sort of permanently borrowed your record player. Oh. <laughs> Tell me that. Oh, well, we were sitting there one night and uh, talking about growing up as kids and getting Santa Claus. Well, of course, you know, he grew up poor and I did. So I got, I was telling about, I got one present one year. And I said, do you remember signing the RCA little phonographs? Yeah, yeah, I do. You got that? I said, yeah, that was my only Christmas present. Do you still have it? Yes, I still have it. Well, where is it? And I said, well, it's back in the trailer somewhere. So like two o'clock in the morning, my husband and children are asleep. So he, he had to go right then and look part. I said, no, Let's wait till tomorrow. They're asleep. No, we'll do it real quiet. So we go and we get the record player out and we bring it back to Graceland. And of course, he had to uh, keep it there because he had to show it off. So uh, return to sender didn't happen. <laughs> you had an Elvis Presley record player. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. I can't In even fact, find one on the web anywhere. If you go to uh, Graceland, there's one display down there. Well, they might not have it all the time, but there's one there. It's a little bitty 45, blue and white. Nice. And he signed it on the corner. Nice, nice, nice. Next question I want to talk about. Let me let me get some background from you first. There was a group of people called the Memphis Mafia at one time. For people who might not know, give us the intro courses what the Memphis Mafia was. Memphis Mafia was the guys that Elvis hired to go on tour with him to take care of his stage outfits, to take care of his other outfits, to make sure he got where he had to go, make sure he was in the right places at the right time. Gotcha. They wrote a book while Elvis was, was still performing, still active, and this apparently upset Elvis a lot. What happened? Upset him very much. They'll, they'll never know how bad that upset him because, number one, it can't happen. And one of, my, one of my dreams was is that I could be able to talk to them and just let them know from my side of the story how upsetting that was to them after he had taking care of them and their families all these years, how they can do something, you know, like that to him. So it was very upsetting. And he took it to his grave. Well, what could have been their motivation for something like that? You know, I'm not sure. You'd have to ask Jen, because only one of them left, and that's Dave Hebler. But, uh, Again, there's so many great stories in the book about Elvis's kindness. One that really stood out to me, a kidney transplant for Felton Jarvis. Oh, my God, yes. Felt, of course, was his RCA record producer, lived in Franklin, Tennessee. Awesome man, very good, dear friend of mine. Loved Elvis, was fantastic. And uh, so he had kidney failure. So he was in the hospital. They put him on dialysis. Elvis had somebody come to his house and set up one of his rooms with a dialysis station. So he didn't have to go to the hospital to get his dialysis. They would come to his house, do his dialysis in his lab. And then when they got a, a 
donor farm that Elvis played, paid for him getting his transplant. And he continued to work after that. And this isn't something that you even know about Elvis unless you know somebody who knew Elvis. He didn't do this for publicity. He didn't do that for publicity. Let me tell you another thing about publicity. Please. He and I were going somewhere one night, so we were going south on Elvis Presley. And there was a little girl down past Shelby Drive, a little black girl, probably eight or nine years old, pushing her bike with a flat tire. So he says, I'm going to pull over, and I don't want to scare her, so you go tell her that we'll put her bike in the car and take her home. And we did. I went and told her. So Elvis got out and got it. So we took her home. The gentleman came to the door, and I told him, I said, you know, your little girl has the flat, so we just brought her home. So when we left, instead of going back south on on Shelby Drive, he turned back going north, and I said, so you've changed your mind on where we're going. And he said, you'll see in a minute. So we had to drive from Whitehaven all the way to Midtown to find a Western Auto that had a bicycle. So we go in, and he buys this beautiful, shiny pink bicycle, put it in the car. We go back to the little girl's house, and he said, now, I'll go with you to the door this time. So he did. The same gentleman came to the door, and he said, I'm Elvis. I'm the man that just brought He didn't say Presley. I'm Elvis. We're the ones that just brought your little girl home when they're flat. Is she here? Well, yes. Well, could I see her a minute? So he goes and gets a little girl. She comes to the door, and she was all cowered down. And Elvis squatting down said, come here, baby. And he let her sit on his knee. And he said, remember, I'm the one that we brought you home. And she's, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. He said, do you get an allowance? And she said, yeah. And I don't know if she said a nickel, a dime, a quarter, or whatever. He said, I'll tell you what, if you'll do, if you'll promise me you'll save your allowance till you can get that bike fixed, I've got a present for you. Well, she unfolded like a little daffodil. I mean, she just come unglued. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. So we go out to the car. He took her hand. But I had an iPhone. Can you imagine how priceless? We go out to the car, pulls out this pink bicycle. So he gave her this bicycle. He said, now this is yours, but you promise me you will save your money till you can get this fixed, and you'll give it to one of your friends that doesn't have a bicycle. Then this pink bicycle will be yours. And the thing that touches my heart this day more than then is that he didn't want notoriety for that. Unfortunately, I think now, People would say, okay, I want channel 3, 5, 13, right, and a virtual right. appeal here. No. Snapchat, it, Instagram. and No. No, that's that. And this is a total stranger. A total stranger. Little girl we'd never seen, never saw again. We saw her twice that night and made her happy. Family was important to him, wasn't it? Oh, very important. Very I bet you saw a lot of really touching moments between he and his mom and his dad. Yeah. Well, I didn't get to meet his mom, but with his dad, yeah. Gotcha. But, you know, his he was that way with his whole, uh, all his employees. They were a big part of him, mm-hmm. and he shared that. He respected that. That's wonderful. And, you know, you had to be careful what you say around Elvis because you didn't get it. <laughs> Could be a good or a bad thing. <laughs> you mentioned before Elvis was not the only notable personality you tended to. Uh, you mentioned in your book Jay Parker People who are familiar with Elvis may not know the name, but they know the work. That right. was the man who designed the iconic Sun logo. Absolutely. You seem to have a really good friendship with him. Very. And his wife. We, we were, he was one of his wife were patients of mine, and we were very close. He was an awesome, awesome man. That's awesome wonderful. man. That's wonderful. I know from back in the day, this is kind of an off-the-wall question, there were already Elvis impersonators during his life and everything. Did he have any opinion about that? Of course, there weren't a much. Excuse me, there was not very many of them then, mm-hmm. but he didn't, 
He didn't pay a lot of attention to that. Did he know about it? Yes. Mm-hmm. And about the only one I can remember was Ronnie McDowell. Right. That was back in the time. Yeah. And he had respect for Ronnie. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Um, before we close this up real quick, I do want to give a shout out to my engineer, Cole Early, who was also instrumental in setting up this interview. Tish, again, thank you for your time. Your wonderful book is called Taking Care of Elvis. Yeah. Still very much available. Yeah. And can't tell you how much we appreciate your time and all your memories. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me here. It's always good to share some Elvis. Thank you. And so we heard this. We think it was a line that just really roared. So I jumped up and run, got in the car. And here he comes, slew foot, and he get in the car. And he says, well, I guess you're just going to let my ass sit there and get ate up. And I said, yeah, if you didn't have sins enough to get up and move, I guess I was. So then we had another great experience there. We're sitting there one night. And, and of course, there's nothing open. You couldn't do you. So we just sit there. And he said, now, are we close to the shell? And I said, yes, it's just around the corner. So we come around to drive around to the shell. And this is probably, I don't know, one, two o'clock, whatever. And he gets up on the stage and he lays down. I cannot sing. He starts singing, swing low, sweet chariot. Line's coming to take my ass home. <laughs> and, of course, I'm standing down in front of him falling out because he's going reflecting back to the night that we heard the line. And then he's going to sing to me laying up there. I would love to have a picture of that. It is an incredible honor and joy to us knowing that right Elvis here. came here in the middle of the night to lay on our stage and sing right. to you. Right. <laughs> yep. Very wonderful. Of course, one of the uh, great points of pride for the shell is the fact that in July of 1954, Elvis gave his very first concert on our stage. Did he ever talk about that to you? He did that night that he was singing. Did he? Yes, he sure did. He said, you know, because, of course, I was laughing at him. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, Tashina, this takes me back to when I was warming here. He said, but you know what? I don't have an audience here. I guess I've, I guess I've blown over. <laughs> it was 2 o'clock in the morning, for goodness sake. Yeah. I guess he played here one more time, July of 56. Yeah, 56. They wanted him to play after that, but I guess he was just too big a deal, and it was just too dangerous for him. Mm-hmm. That's, that's amazing. He was, he was a blessing in my life. <laughs> 